I want to experience true happiness. There's not a person in here that's not making decisions, most likely in some kind of way, based upon seeking happiness in your life. And Jesus is going to give us some keys, and I want to know those keys because I want to see that in my life. I want to see that in my family. And so we've been reading this passage together, and I want to invite you. It'll be up on the screen. You can turn in your Bibles with me there, too, or look on your devices if that's how you study God's Word with us. But I want us to read it out loud together, and here's what I want us to do today. Every time you see the word blessed, instead of us saying blessed, we're going to say happy, okay? So you're going to have to pay attention, all right? So let's say this out loud together. Bring it up on the screen, please. Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 and 6. Do we have it? There we are, okay. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, now remember what you're supposed to do? Happy. All right, now let's say it together. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, what's the word? Satisfied. They will be satisfied. And we talked about satisfaction last week. So let's just break that down. Just for those of you who are new, haven't been with us, just very quickly. What Jesus is saying is we first begin to experience true happiness when we're poor in spirit, when we realize our deep need for God, when we are spiritually impoverished. And we realize I have nothing to offer God. I can't, I can't do anything to fix this. Happy are we when we come to the end of ourselves. And then he says, happy are those who mourn. And remember, we were like, that doesn't seem to make sense. Happy are the sad. That doesn't, what is he saying? He says, happy are those who mourn. And what he's saying is we are happy when we finally realize that we're poor in spirit. We become sorry for our sin, which means this, we recognize our sin, uh, we take responsibility for our sin, and we repent of our sin. He says, you're going to begin to have this transition of happiness in your life when you begin to realize your deep need of God, that you realize that you can't do this without God. You need him in your life, and he's going to say happiness is going to begin to come into your life. And then he says this, that's going to bring humility. And then he says, happy are the meek. And we learn that meekness is, is not weakness. It's, it's strength under control of the master like a strong horse, a horse that is under control of its master. And so there's a brokenness that begins to happen in our lives. We're happy when we submit to God in relationship with him. He begins to transform us internally. And then we realize because of what he has done for us, it's a little easier to be gentle. That word meekness means gentle. It's a little easier to be gentle with people around us because he's been so gentle with us. And then he says, happy are those who hunger and thirst for a righteousness. And we learn that that's a right relationship with God that's not based upon what we can do to earn it. We learned this last week. It's based upon what God has declared for us when we submit to him, we come to him in faith, and we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And he says this, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. We've been trying to fill our lives up with all this stuff. We gave examples of, of, of men and women throughout, throughout history who have tried to satisfy their lives with the things of the world, and they're never full. They can never push away from the table and say, I'm full. But Jesus is saying, whenever you hunger and thirst for the right thing, he said, you're going to be satisfied. And so this is where we're picking up, and he says, God blesses this kind of life. And we've looked at these first four keys, and, and this is important, these first four keys to us experiencing true happiness. He's saying it all starts right here, and what I want you to notice is that these all build upon one another. The other thing I want you to notice is not only just how connected they are, but that he, also, he starts internally. It starts not with outward action, which was what people were expecting him to say. They, they were a very religious crowd that were following him, and he didn't start there. He didn't start with the external action. He started on the inside. He said, it starts with your heart. It starts because of God's grace in your life. It starts when you come to the end of yourself and there's brokenness in your life. He starts with character, not conduct. And a lot of times in our churches, we flip that around and we say, get your conduct right, and then character will follow. And he says, no, come to me first. 
In all of your brokenness, come to me and I will do the work in your life. He starts with our position in Jesus Christ before he ever gets to the practice of things that should flow out of our lives. Jesus knows that character is what produces good conduct. The conduct flows from the relationship of being in right living with God. And he says that's where happiness is found. Happiness is found when it starts inside. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He says a Christian uh, is something before he does something. In other words, there's something that should happen internally before we start doing these things. Remember, we can't earn our way to heaven. It's by God's amazing grace that we just sang about. But Jesus is going to begin to turn in the Beatitudes now, this flow of not just internal things, but because of an internal transformation that begins to happen when you come to the end of yourself, you're poor in spirit, you repent of sin, you come to God, and he begins to do a transforming work in your life. And Jesus was talking to these people who were mostly used to outward religious acts. And it was fruitless in their life, and they were tired of it, and they were not happy. And he's going to radically begin to say some things to them where he's going to say, now your actions are going to begin to flow out of what has happened in your heart. He's going to begin this, and so he begins in the second part of these Beatitudes. Blessed or happy are the merciful. Let's go to that slide there. He says, happy are the merciful, for they shall receive, say it with the church, what? Mercy. Happy are the merciful. When I think of the word mercy, I was thinking mercy. What do I think of when I think of mercy? And the first thing that came to my mind, did any of y'all play this game when you were kids, when you would grab hands with somebody else? Anybody do this? All right. And then what do you do? You try to rip that person's fingers off, right? And you start and you're going, you're trying to rip their hands off until somebody cries out, Mercy, or maybe uncle, or whatever it is, right? I I don't know why uncles got dragged into that, but they did, okay? Maybe they were always doing that to the nephews and nieces. I'm an uncle, so I know that. Um, but, but, But that's what I think of. What do you think of when you think of the word Mercy. If I were to open it up, which, which I won't for time's sake, but I bet we'd hear all kinds of answers that would, would be facets of mercy. There'd be some of you that would say it's, it's feeling sympathy for someone. There'd be some of you that would say it's feeling pity for some, or some would probably say, no, it's forgiveness. It's forgiving someone that doesn't deserve it, or it's an act of kindness, or, or maybe it's, it's sparing someone who they've got something coming to them, but you show an act of mercy. And you don't do that, right? So what do you think of when it comes to this? And here's what I want you to know and understand as we're going to see today, scripturally speaking, is that mercy is multifaceted. It's like a diamond, okay, that has these different sides to it. It's, it, it. There's many different sides to mercy and ways that we can live this out within our lives. And here's what it is. It's, it's, here's something that sets it apart, the, though, from something like, let's say, pity. All right, pity is, is something when you look and it evokes emotion within you and you feel sympathy, but mercy is always associated with action. All right, you could say it this way, that mercy is always in motion. Mercy is an action that a person lives out, okay? I've got some pictures. Just kind of look at these pictures. You know these are familiar pictures you've probably seen over the last several weeks. And this is from the Hurricane Harvey that, that many of us have been involved in trying to help and When you see pictures like this, unless your heart is just incredibly hardened, it ought to evoke some emotion within you, right? When you see people going through that and you know that these are our neighbors who are just a few hours away, that this could have, this could, could have easily be us and, you know, except for the grace of God, right? And, and, and people are, are real people. Some of your relatives, some of your family, some of the people you work with were going through that that one with the baby in, in, in the float there, that was unbelievable, wasn't it? And you see brokenness. You see a man that's just hanging on to the only thing it looked like he had in his life, which was his dog there. It, that evokes emotion, okay? Sympathy, pity. I want you to understand that's not mercy. That's not mercy. Mercy is seeing this. And, and realizing there's a call to action based upon what I feel that's going on inside of me. It's not just seeing that and going, 
wow, that's really terrible. And many of us probably did this. No, it's, it's, it's saying this. What, when you look at Jesus, what you'll see, and we are called as Christ followers to emulate Jesus as our Savior, who was always going about in his ministry years uh, doing acts of mercy, merciful with people, stepping into people's lives, not just seeing people that were broken and just walking by them. Jesus would step into their life. And Jesus has left us here as believers to be his hands and feet, right? To do his acts of mercy to people in this broken world. And, 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 and he makes it very clear that he's called us to be ministers. You don't have to be a pastor to be a minister. If you're a believer of, of Jesus, you're called into the ministry to be a minister of mercy. That's what you're, you're given this, this calling by God. Whether you serve vocationally in a church or not, as a believer, you're called into ministry. Ministry just means this. It means service. It means that you serve people. It means that you're involved. You don't just walk by. You get involved. And, and so uh, what I'm going to be talking about today is, is, is intensely practical for us today. Jesus makes it clear, happy are those who show mercy. Happy are those. That's a key, he says. A key to your happiness is one who shows mercy. Not just living in this, with this worldly temporal happiness. He says a deep way of experiencing true happiness is that you are a merciful person. Now, again, very practical. And, and if you learn to become an agent or a minister of mercy, I guarantee you this, it will impact your happiness factor because here's what it's going to do. It's going to impact your relationships. It will transform your marriage. If you learn to be a minister of mercy, it will transform the way you parent. If you learn to be a minister of mercy because of something Jesus has shown you and done in your heart, it will impact the way that you, that you work with your coworkers. It's a major thing when it comes to our happiness factor. When we first consider the mercy that's been shown us, and then we also, as a result, begin to allow that to flow out of our lives when we're a conduit of mercy. But let's first look at, what, at, at, the, at the why before we even get into the how. Why should I even be merciful? Why should I show mercy to people? And Jesus didn't look at us as we sang that song about God's grace and giving us something that we don't deserve, right? Uh, he didn't look at us in the condition of our sin where because of our sin we're separated from God we're separated, and he didn't just say, you know what, I feel really sorry for them. I, I hope they can figure it out on their own. No, what did he do? In action, he stepped into our world. He did something about the compassion that he felt for us. He emulated this over and over again in Scripture. And it's emphasized in Scripture how God is merciful with us in multiple ways. I'm going to be giving you a lot of scriptural references today. We won't just be in Matthew chapter 5. And so you can take notes, but I'm going to go pretty quick because I have a lot of Scriptures, okay? But here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. Paul writes and he says, But God is so rich in mercy... And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, do you remember last week we talked about uh, before we come into relationship, right relationship with God, we are like the walking dead, right? We're walking around. We're not, we're, the Bible says we are spiritually dead until we believe in Jesus, and then he makes us born again and we come alive in Jesus Christ. And he says this, that, that even though we were dead because of our sins, separated from God, on our way to hell because of the fact of the separation and because of the penalty of sin, because he loved us, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been, what does it say, church? You have been saved. It's no accident that we sang Amazing Grace today before I talk to you about what I'm talking about. We do these things intentionally, you should know. Because we want you reflecting upon what God has done in your life. I need to reflect upon often what God has done in my life. There's a powerful story that Jesus told about a man who was indebted to a king. Millions upon millions of dollars. He could never repay that debt. And, 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 and I mean, he was, he was destined for jail. And, and he goes and he asks the king to show mercy upon him. And the king shows an act of mercy and, and, and completely forgives the debt of the man. And he goes out and the man's walking down the street and he could never have repaid that. He's walking down the street and he sees a guy who owes him just a few hundred bucks. 
And he goes over to the guy, and instead of showing mercy in the same manner that, that, that he was shown, he grabs the guy by the throat, he starts choking him, and then he has the guy thrown in jail. Well, word gets back to the king. Jesus is telling the story, and people are riveted by this. He tells the story, and, 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 and he says the king at that point brings the man in front of him, and he is furious with this man who has been shown mercy, and this man would not extend the same thing. And so here's what it says. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, your fellow servant? You're on the same level, right? Shouldn't you show mercy? Just as I had and I showed mercy upon you. The point is that God is saying we need to reflect often upon the mercy that he has shown us. We need to sing that song, Amazing Grace, probably every day in our lives, right? To remind us of the hour I first believed, how he changed my life, that apart from Christ I'm hopeless and then I can't make it to heaven on my own. He's shown great forgiveness. I, what, what really moved me, what made me so emotional as I was singing back there was just trying to envision my life apart from Jesus. Trying to envision where would I be knowing the things that I've done, knowing the trajectory that I was on as a young man, knowing the things that I was pursuing that I thought would bring happiness, and Jesus stepped into my life and pursued me, and he changed me. My life's been changed. I've been forgiven. He forgave me. And so he says, reflect upon this often. The point is God's saying, think about what I've done for you, and that should impact the way that you treat other people. Here's another way that we, that we see that a reason is this, is that God desires our mercy above our outward acts of worship. He wants, it's important the way we treat each other, even more so than coming in here this morning and going through the motions of, of acting like we're worshiping. He says, I want, you, I want you to treat people right throughout the week and then come in here with your heart right with your fellow man and come in here and I accept that kind of worship. Now watch what he says in Micah chapter 6. Uh, here's what the prophet writes. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? He's really exaggerating, right? Should we give him all of this? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O oh people, the Lord has told you what is good. They already knew this. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right to love, everyone say it, what? To love mercy. It's not a burden. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. If you really examine that, you know what he's saying? Be poor in spirit. Be humble with God and you're humble with others. And this is a summary. It's a summary of how to be happy. And it was so radically different from what the people were listening to and what they've been told by the religious leaders. They were beaten down by outward religious acts. They knew how to come to the temple. They knew how to go through the motions. They knew how to have their festivals and all of this stuff. They knew how to do the outward acts of church. And God says, that's not what I want from you. I want something deeper from you. Amos chapter 5. Look at what God says. He says this. I hate. Yeah, that's strong words. I hate all your show and your pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice your choice peace offerings. He said, I'm not even going to pay attention to that. I'm not even going to, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to hear your prayers. I don't, I, I'm not going to hear any of this. There's a barrier between us right now. Away, he says, with your noisy hymns of praise. But that hurt the worship pastor's feelings right there, right? Okay. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, he said, this is what I'm looking for right here 
Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. What he's talking about there is I want to see mercy. I want to see it in the way that you treat people. Church, he's saying lots of us as churches, we are, we're really good at doing church now. We're good with lights and we know how to put on shows and productions and all this kind of stuff. I mean, we've, we've, we, we know how to go through the motions. We have great instruments and all of this stuff's going on and it's fantastic and it's beautiful music to our ears. And what God is saying is I don't want you to just come to church and put on a show. What he's saying is I want you to be the church. Be the church. Live out your faith. It should make a difference in your life. You should be vastly different. What he's saying is, what I want you to do is I want you to treat people right. I want you to treat people right. That matters to me, God says, more than your outward acts of worship. In fact, it was so clear he rejects our worship when we are living in brokenness and hatefulness with other people. He says, that's not what I want. I want you to get right with your fellow man. I want you to humble yourself. Jesus would get in disputes with the religious leaders, these Pharisees. He would get in these arguments with them because they would criticize his acts of mercy to people. They would start criticizing him for, for loving on people. And Jesus quoted another prophet. He quoted Hosea chapter 6. Now, I think this is so interesting because he's going to say it in a way that, they, that they, he realize, they realize it's a jab because he says this in Matthew 9. Then he added this to them. Now go and learn. Now they knew the scripture. They could quote the scripture. But look at what he says. Go and learn the meaning of it. I know you can say it. What Jesus is saying is go do it. Learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. I want you to treat people right. It displeases God if we are unmerciful with people all throughout the week. Monday through Saturday, we're hateful with people. We're short with the people who serve us when we go into restaurants. We're ugly with our spouse. We're, we're, we're short with our kids. We're in fights all the time at work and all this. He's saying, no. You, you. And then we, we know how to come in on Sunday morning and praise Jesus. We know how to say that. He's saying, I don't want that. I want you living your faith out Monday through Saturday, and then you come in here on Sunday, and it ought to be a celebration of what I've done in your life all week. That's what he's saying. That's what he's getting at in this. And so here's the third thing of why it's so important is that I'm going to need mercy going forward. I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. I've got a lot of mistakes that I still make, and I need God's forgiveness in my life. Now, this is about, not about me obtaining my salvation, okay? That's not a condition of salvation. We're saved by God's grace, and so I'm in relationship with God, but when I'm unmerciful with people, it breaks my fellowship with God, right? And, and my fellowship with God and my prayer life with God is not good. And God's like, no, listen, I want you to go get right with people. I want you to humble yourself. And, and in fact, what God is saying is that if you won't do this, he said, I, I reject that worship, by the way. And he's saying this, you're not going to be happy. You will not be happy. We'll look at that more in a minute. So God has given me this, this I'm going to need mercy going forward here. Look, as believers, in fact, our rewards one day in heaven are stipulated upon the way we show mercy. In James chapter 2, he says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And he's speaking to Christians here. And so this is, the, this is what is called the Bema Seat of Christ. This is where he, where he gives rewards for faithfulness in serving him. And so I'm going to need mercy going forward. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Here's number four of why. My level of mercy often impacts my happiness. The way that I'm merciful with others will impact of my happiness. It's a source of happiness. And Scripture teaches over and over again that the, the more merciful I am, the happier internally I'm going to be. If you want to be happy, you need to be merciful with people. Proverbs eleven seventeen. Let's read this one out loud together as it comes up on the screen. Eleven seventeen. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man, what does he do? He hurts himself. So when we're not merciful with others, you may think that you're inflicting that upon someone else, but really what you're doing is you're hurting yourself. You're robbing yourself of the happiness that God wants you to have. 
what it says is that when we are kind, when we are merciful, it actually benefits you. You're happier, right? A man without kindness and mercy, you're just messing up your own life. You're hurting yourself. So these are incredible reasons of why being merciful is so important. Now let's shift gears just a little bit and let's begin to talk about how I can put this into action this week. What does this begin to really look like for each of us? How do I, how do I begin to look at these multifaceted kind of layers of mercy and begin to apply them as I go out of these doors and I start doing this in a, in a manner because I've been changed and shown mercy. Now I'm an agent of God's mercy in this dark, broken world. Let's look at these multifaceted ways we do this. Number one, you can't get any more, any more practical than this. Be patient with people's quirks. Y'all know this, man. People are weird, aren't they? Amen, right? Come on, right? Do, do, do y'all have any people that are quirky that's in your life? Do you have any, what do we call them, EGRs, extra grace required? Do you have any difficult people that are in your life? Anybody? You can raise your hands. Come on, help me out. Do you know anybody that's quirky? Don't look at them right now, okay? Straight ahead. Just look eyes on me. I'm trying to help you right now. But you show mercy when you're patient with people who are, are quirky, with their idiosyncrasies with their peculiarities, with their mannerisms that just drive you crazy, their irritating habits. What we'll see is that you show mercy when you don't get so irritated or angry or uptight about people's personal quirks because here is something that I don't know if you're aware of, but we all have them. <laughs> you're quirky too. I'm quirky. I mean, I'll meet up with you afterwards and I'll tell you yours if you want to know them, all right? I'll tell you. But you probably have coworkers with quirks. Pastor Randy gets tickled at my quirkiness. Amen, brother, right? All right, all right. I mean, I'm a quirky fella. I'm just letting you know. Um, I'm a germaphobe, which he laughs at and, and, and is constantly doing things to make it hard on me. Um, I am a tightwad. Do we have any other tightwads out here? I'm a tightwad, all right? I'm a tightwad. They laugh at me for that. The staff laughs at me mostly because of my quirks. They laugh quite a bit. They hate it whenever I go running because I get all of these ideas when I'm running and I come back and they're like, he's been running, all right? Because he's th been thinking of all, because what that means for them is that's more work for us, okay? Okay? And so I'm really quirky, and they laugh at my quirks. My family, though, has to live with my quirks, all right? My wife will be in the 5 p.m. service today, and she will say amen, right? She'll say amen, hoping I've been married now for 25 years. And in that period of time, we might have gotten on each other's nerves just a little bit. Does anybody else do that if you are married? Amen, right? Okay. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I have been told that I leave dirty dishes in the wrong side of the sink. They're in the sink, man. Come on, the wrong side. This happened two weeks ago. And I'm like, I'm preaching on mercy soon. You need some mercy, girl. And um, she leaves the cabinet door open all the time above the toilet, okay, which I run into and my bald head has scars everywhere. I just told her, a dish never hurt anybody, okay, all right? You, I've got scars because of this. Now, I mean, I, I'm a tightwad. My kids, they, they suffer because of this. I don't let them get cheese on their burgers when we go out to eat because we have cheese at home. Does anybody else do this? We can spend 40 cents better than that. Now, I've gotten better at this, okay, as they've gotten older. I made Trinity tip the pizza guy on her, out of her own money last night. <laughs> I want a pizza, Daddy. You're tipping him, all right? And uh, here's the deal. Uh, wait, I, I, I'm not going to mention any more of Hope's uh, quirks. I'm just going to focus on mine a little bit because I've been married for 25 years, and there is wisdom in that, okay? But she has, let me just say, she's just near perfect. We got that recorded, right? Recorded. <laughs> This might be the best marriage advice we could ever get. Paul gives it to us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Look at what he says to believers. He says, always, oh, that is a big word, always be humble 
and gentle. That is the opposite of prideful. When you're prideful, you're going to be fighting all the time. Your marriage, you're not going to be happy. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. This part's so interesting. Making allowance. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. This comes with the understanding that we are going to annoy each other. It's going to happen. Men, did you know that you are married to a sinner? And all the men said, say it with me, man, what? Oh, you're, guys, I wonder. Ladies, you are married to an even bigger sinner. All right, yeah, right? Here's the deal. Two imperfect, flawed people can't make a perfect marriage. It doesn't happen. What I've been learning in this 25 years of marriage is this, is that a great marriage is made up of the union of two great forgivers. Because you're going to need to exercise it a lot. I mean, and if you, and if you won't, you, you probably won't stay married. If you won't, you, if you are married, you won't be happy. It takes, it takes this, this brokenness of spirit, right? You know what I've discovered is, as, as someone who helps people with, when their marriages are suffering, there are often catastrophic things, big things that will end a marriage. But you know what I've kind of discovered more than anything? It's often just kind of built up over the years as a lack of mercy. Little digs, one right after another, one right after another, one right after another. And finally someone just says, you know what? I'm done. I've had enough of that. So how do, I, how do I get more of this mercy in my life, right? How do I get this? Well, there's a big word. We, we gain mercy when we gain this word here, wisdom. And it means you're walking closely with God. We need God's wisdom with our family, God's wisdom in our relationships, with our kids. We need to ask God for more wisdom. The wiser you get, the more patient you'll be with people. James chapter 3, verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving and gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others. It is full of what? Mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It is always sincere. So the more wisdom you get from God by seeking him, you're seeking wisdom this morning by coming to worship you're seeking the Lord this morning. The more wisdom you gain, the wiser you become and happier you're going to be, right? And, and it's not just knowledge. You can be pompous. You can be arrogant. But notice it says wisdom from above. Notice what he says it is. It's peace-loving. If you're not peace-loving, you're not wise. If you are easily irritated, you're not wise, if you're not willing to yield to others and you always have to be right and you always have to get the last word in, you always have to win the argument, Scripture would say you're not wise. Thus, what I would say is you're probably not happy. You might win the argument, but you didn't win. You didn't win the relationship. When you control your anger, you refuse to get upset because of the weirdness and the the, the quirks of people, their annoying habits. You're showing mercy. You can do that this week. I can do that better this week, okay? Here's another facet of mercy, okay? We're looking at how. Is I, I should be helpful when people are hurting. I step into people's brokenness. There are people that are hurting all around us. If we'll open our eyes long enough and take our eyes off of our phones and our electronic devices and actually notice that there are people who are around us We'll notice this, that there are a lot of hurts around us. And that God is calling you to be an agent of mercy in all of those hurts. A guy came to Jesus one time and he said, what's the most important command? What, what, what can I do, you know? What's the most important command? Jesus said, love God. And he said, love your neighbor. And then the guy was kind of looking for a way to weasel out of this a little bit. And he said, well, then who is my neighbor? And otherwise, who am I really responsible to? So Jesus told that famous story. You know the story of the Good Samaritan that teaches us about noticing people who are broken. And he tells about a man. You know what? He goes down. He's going down to Jericho. He gets robbed and beaten up. He's a Jewish man. Robbed and beaten up. And he's left for dead. And there are three guys that walk right by this guy. There's two of them who are actually religious priests and one was like a worship pastor and then the third guy that walks by him now these first two they just walked by on their way to church 
And they didn't want to get involved. The third one, though, he notices a guy, and he is a despised Samaritan. When Jesus told this story, it was scandalous to his hearers. When he said that this was the one who actually did something here, he goes, he gets the guy, he bandages him up, he puts him on his own donkey, he takes him to an inn, he checks him in, he tells the guy, he takes care of him there, he says if he, if he goes to the mini bar and gets anything there, I'll take care of that when I come back. And then Jesus says this, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who at was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, you go now and do the same. I want you to see how, I want you to see how mercy steps into others' pain. Watch this video. Finally tonight, it was a photo taken by a tourist who saw something on a cold night in Times Square, and the photo has warmed a lot of hearts as it has ricocheted around the world on the web. And in the process, it's made a New York City police officer something of a hero. The story behind the picture from NBC's Stephanie Gosk. In Times Square, visitors tend to look up, struck by the bright lights and billboards. But Officer Larry DePrimo had his eye on the street and on a homeless man in need of help. It was freezing, and uh, the first thing I thought was, like, this is absolutely unacceptable. Um, so I went up to him, and I was like, where are your socks or your shoes or anything? Officer DePrimo was on the counterterrorism beat when he saw the homeless man sitting just about here with no shoes on. In that moment, he decided it wasn't just his job to protect, it was also his job to serve. The most immediate need was obvious, and the shoe store was right there. Jose Cano was on shift. The officer was uh, quite inspiring. I've, you know, worked in the city for about 10 years, and no one's really sort of taken this sort of initiative. Cano cut him a deal on waterproof winter boots. DePrimo paid with his own money. I keep the receipt in my bulletproof vest mostly because I think it's an important reminder that some people have it worse. Jennifer Foster, a tourist from Arizona, watched as DePrimo gave the man a brand new pair of boots. This man's face lit up like it was Christmas and like he had just been given literally a million dollars. Foster couldn't resist taking the now famous photo. Nearly half a million likes on Facebook and the number keeps rising. The fact that he cared enough to stop his, his shift, his day, spend his time, and now I know his own money to do this thing for this gentleman who had nothing, I, I can't say enough about it. In this city, they are called New York's finest. Officer DePrimo is a good reason why. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News, New York. Don't you love stories like that, news stories like that? And isn't it interesting how the world takes notice of mercy? The world notices stuff like that, and they're blown away by that. I love that they said these New York's finest, and I, I was thinking, you know, we are, we're to be heaven's finest. We're to be representing heaven as we're out as an agent of mercy. It's stepping into someone's herd, and, you know, and that's what it looks like. Whenever, whenever Hurricane Harvey happened, and, and Pastor Randy and I felt compelled to step in and not just say, well, we look down there and see that going on, well, I hope they, I hope they you know, make it okay. We sent a video out that said we feel compelled to help. We feel compelled to step in to people who are hurting. We called the church to action. You filled two 53-foot semi-trailers full of water and needs and all. That's mercy. That's mercy. It's not just sympathy. You stepped up to the plate. And here, as, as we continue to hear about things that are happening, we, we've gathered as a church, and now some are going. We have a team that's there this weekend. We had one that's there the last week, and over the next few weeks, we'll have others that will be going. And if you want to go, you can find out more about that, as we'll be doing probably a video going out about how more people can get involved. But we also feel compelled as a church to give. God has blessed us, church. We have money in the bank as a church. Praise God. Amen, right? Thank God for your generosity. But we don't think that it's just supposed to sit there. We want to be a generous church. You know, this is a picture of a church that is in Rockport. It's First Baptist Church, Rockport, Texas. Look at the church we're in right now. Aren't you thankful for this? The guy who was the pastor of that church was one of my roommates at Howard Payne University. His name's Scott Jones. And they're meeting under a tent now. And they're, they're, they're struggling there are churches, there are dozens and dozens of churches that were destroyed by this, that were flooded out, some burned. And, and, and we feel compelled not just to walk to the other side of the street. Amen, right? 
But God has called us to get involved. Your elder team, we're praying about how we can do that and how we can give and how we can help and all of this. Look at what Proverbs 3.27 says. We don't walk to the other side of the road. We charge in. It's what the church is called to do. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. When it's in your power to do something, if you can help your neighbor now, don't say, well, hey, come back tomorrow and, and then I'll help you. It's no mercy says, I'm going to help you right now. What can I do for you right now? I, I notice a need. I notice you don't have shoes. I notice your church is, is suffering. I notice your house is flooded out. What can we do for you right now? So we're called by the Lord to meet needs as we can when they arise. And I'm betting on this this week. If you'll open your eyes this week, and you say, God, before you go, I will be an agent of your mercy. When you go out of here this week, God will put people in your path. If you'll open and you'll notice and he'll put people whose needs that you can begin to meet. It might be a financial need. It might be just someone needs you to listen and take time to put the phone down and look them in the face and hear them out. That's a facet of mercy. It might be a physical need. I mean, there are all kinds of needs if we'll just take notice. And then Romans 12 talks about when we meet needs of others that we don't do it begrudgingly. Now we do it cheerfully. We do it because we've been shown such great acts of mercy. Here's what we also do. We do good to those who hurt us. Well, this is probably one of the toughest ones. Mercy is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. Giving people what they need, not what they deserve, because this is what God has done with us. He gives us what we need. I started thinking, if I got what I deserve, there's no way I'd be standing here before you today as a pastor. If I got what I deserved, as I contemplated some of that this week, and some of the things that I've done in the past that I'm ashamed of, I thought, if I got what I deserved, I can't even imagine where my life would be, right? Mercy's giving people what they need, not what they deserve. It's countercultural. It's radical love. It's the kind of love that God does when we are poor in spirit and say, I need mercy in my life. Look at what Jesus is going to say again to religious people. Look, if you, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Sin, you're not any different than the rest of the world. Sinners know how to do that. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. He keeps saying that over and over again. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. But he says, but here's what my followers look like. They stand out. They look different. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven, God notices this is what he's saying, will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. I came across this article this week in the Star-Telegram, and I thought it was an incredible act of, and a story of mercy. It's the story of Kesha Thomas. This is a picture of Kesha right here today as an adult. And I wish, again, there were more stories like this that were reported. But 21 years ago, ago in her hometown, when she was an 18-year-old girl growing up in Michigan, there was a KKK rally that came to her town. She went there to be a counter-protester at that KKK rally that was there to, to talk about hate and, and, and white supremacy and all of this. And, and one of the neo-Nazis that was there, a guy that was tatted up with SS and all of this, he for some reason decided to walk in amongst the 200 or so counter-protesters. And when he walked in among those people, they noticed who he was. They took him. They started beating him to death. Someone yelled out, there's a Klansman, get him. And they threw him to the ground. They started beating this man to death. Someone yelled, kill him, kill the Nazi. And this 18-year-old African-American girl threw her body down on top of this man and protected him. She started being beaten because they were trying to get to that man, taking blows, taking his blows, showing mercy. She said, and she said it was as if, she said, I didn't plan on doing this. She said it was like, it's like angels grabbed my arms and threw me down on top of him. And then she helped him get up, and she walked him out of that crowd to safety. And she was as if saying, if you're going to hurt this man, you're going to have to go to me. And, and, and one of the photographers said, I fully went there that day expecting to see acts of violence. 
But what I saw that day was the most extraordinary act of kindness I've ever seen. Someone who most likely would not have been extended the same kind of courtesy. That's a powerful act of mercy. People were stunned. That picture, by the way, went viral before viral ever happened. It was all over. People notice acts of mercy. By the way, mercy takes courage. It takes courage. You say, why would I want to extend mercy to anyone who's hurt me? Go back to the reasons we looked at a few moments ago. By the way, Kesha Thomas is very active in helping the hurricane victims. (laughs) She's lived out mercy all of her life, right? All of her life. It's part of mercy. Just very quickly, here's another thing. We be kind to those who are offensive to us. Mercy is being kind to those who are offensive. You probably noticed that verbal attacks upon Christians is going up in our society. It goes up. It's all over Facebook, and you can get into arguments with people, and you can say ugly things back and do all of this, but you're never going to win anybody to Jesus doing that. When you stand for something that is right, you will be criticized. You will be attacked, and our flesh wants to retaliate. It wants to retaliate, and, 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 and again, just if you go on social media, it, it, there's so many horrible, offensive things that are being said about Jesus, and our flesh wants to retaliate on his behalf. But we have to decide whether we want to win arguments or whether we want to win people to Jesus in love. Amen? You won't win someone by being ugly and hateful and lowering yourself to that level. First Timothy 1, Paul says this, Think about, you may actually win someone like a Paul. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in, what does he say? Ignorance. What did Jesus say when he was on the cross? Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. You see, we can't expect people to act like Christians if they're not Christians. Right? They don't know his love yet. They need to see his love is real in us. And he goes on and he says, and I did it in ignorance and unbelief, but oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of them all. But God had Mercy, there's that word again, on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. God works through our mercy. Fifth thing here is that mercy, a facet of mercy, is building bridges of love to people who need it most. There are people probably where you work that nobody wants to be around. Maybe at school, it's the unpopular kid. Maybe it's the neighbor. Or maybe it's not just that group of folks that may be social outcasts. Maybe it's the people that they make fun of or whatever, you know, and mercy steps in and, and is different than all those other people that do that. Or maybe it's just the person who's not a believer yet. And, and, you know, and instead of just completely isolating ourselves as a church where we're only friends with Christians, here's what we're called to do. We look at Jesus. He inserted himself around people that didn't know Jesus yet, that didn't know God's love yet. And so we build bridges of love. Jesus did this with so many tax collectors and cheats and crooks and prostitutes and people caught in open immorality. He touched lepers. They were the untouchables. They were the outcasts. He was shocking their world by his acts of mercy. Building bridges of love. He calls Matthew, who was a tax collector, a despised tax collector, to be a a follower. And Jesus gets invited to go to Matthew's house for a party. And Jesus goes. And there were lots of sinners there. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, that's the religious people, They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scumbags? Those scums. They would never lower themselves, forgetting that they are also sinners. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. 
Then he added, now, and he quotes Hosea again, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy and not sacrifices, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. Boom. <laughs> you think you are righteous, he says, but those who know they are sinners, and he dropped the mic and walked off. Don't you love Jesus? Don't you love Jesus? So radical. When you do this, you need to know something. You will be criticized. When you build bridges to people that nobody else likes, you will be criticized. When you build bridges, when you're a pastor and you hang out with people who aren't Christians, you will be criticized by religious people. I don't care. I'm just saying. I love how Jesus did this last thing. Here's what mercy is. It's giving people a second chance. We all could use that, couldn't we? You need a second chance? I know that I need one. We all need this. Instead of writing people off, we give people a second chance. Last scripture, Ephesians 4, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. We either want to get even or we want to write people off. Remember, remember, come back to your place of grace. He has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Now, here's what he's going to say as a result. Get rid of that bitterness. Get rid of it. The rage, the anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. What he's saying is, Mercy, mercy, that's what he's saying. Remember, he says. So here's the, where the rubber meets the road. Thinking of the facets of mercy. Who do you need to show mercy to this week? Just ask the Lord to show you. Different ways of showing it. Ask him to show you how to do it this week. Come to the place of your grace that you have experienced him. And say, Let's just go to him right now and just say, just in prayer, let's pray right now. Lord, show me who you want me to be merciful to the way that you've been merciful to me. Ask him to give you a name, a face. Maybe it's your spouse, a coworker, a neighbor, a child. Who do you want me to be merciful with this week, Lord? And now let's just admit this. We can't do this on our own. Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. Father, I thank you for your grace in our lives. By the way, if you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, why not right now? He is a God of second chances. You need a fresh start. He wants to give that to you. You may just call on him right now and say, Lord, will you be my savior? I need your mercy in my life. I want the gift of eternal life as I place my faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Thank you, Jesus. As I turn from my sin and I turn to you in faith, thank you for your mercy. I want to live for you now, Jesus. God, make us agents of mercy today. In Jesus' name we pray.